This is the Luke 10-2 podcast, a conversation about preaching, planting, and leading with Noah Oldham. On today's episode, Noah sits down with Todd Ginneman, pastor and planter of Apostles Church in St. Louis. They'll talk about cultivating side streams of income as a planter and leading a multi-ethnic church in the inner city. Let's get started. Welcome, Todd. Hey, how's it going? Man, it's so good to have you with us today. Todd, tell us a little bit about your family. Well, I have been married to my wife, Juliet. Uh, it'll be 10 years this October. Um, we have three babies. Uh, Violet is seven. Uh, Theo is four. And Alex is the newest one, so it's hardest to remember. But she's, she is 18 months. I think once you get beyond two children, I don't think you have to keep track of how old they are anymore. A, a parent at a school function cornered me and asked me when their birthdays were, hmm. and I almost slapped them. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Well, Todd, tell us a little bit about your church. Tell us about Apostles Church. Uh, so Apostles Church uh, will be four years old this April. <clears throat> so we planted um, uh, four years ago. We launched our church and uh, with the desire to be uh, a intentionally multi-ethnic church um, in the most divided area of the St. Louis uh, of St. Louis City, and so um, yeah, we've been uh, in a few different locations, and we bought a building about two years ago um, at Taylor and Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. and uh, have just been kind of blowing and going, trying to figure out what we're doing there. We're still we're the new people in the area, and so we're trying to figure out how to uh, live and love the community that we're planted in. So I love that. One of the things you mentioned there was you felt this call to plant a multi-ethnic church in the most divided area of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit more about that and, and in that include, tell us about your call toward yeah. that. So um, started getting into church planting probably about 12, 13 years ago, hearing about it, learning about it, pursuing those things. Uh, and while I was serving with you at uh, a church plant in um, 2014, uh, my wife and I, we have a, a interracial marriage, and we began to develop all these relationships with folks who um, felt a need for a church that would uh, represent them or uh, look like the city. Uh, and we were still learning about the city being recent uh, transplants here. And so as we began to expand our understanding of the city, realizing um, the divide ethnically and socioeconomically in St. Louis mostly ran along one street called Delmar Boulevard. And so uh, we began to just pray and ask God what, what he was doing with these conversations and these, um, I always call it a holy unrest when God calls you to do something is that you see things around you aren't as they should be. Mm-hmm. And um, normally you can ignore those things and just keep living your life. Um, but if God is calling you to something you can't get away from it. Yeah. Uh, dreams, conversations, every text you read in the, in the scriptures seems to be pointing you that direction. Mm-hmm. And so we had just landed to where we couldn't run away from this idea of planting a multi-ethnic church, of seeing a church that looked like the city and that was proactive in addressing issues of uh, race and socioeconomics as opposed to being reactive uh, to things that happen in the culture. Um, and so when we began to have 
those conversations. Uh, you and the other leadership of the church were affirming in that call, which was a huge blessing to not have to run, run from a, a bad situation, be sent yeah. uh, from a good situation. Um, and we just began to have Bible studies in our house. We sold our house on the south side and moved to the north side. Um, just a 10-minute move. A lot of people would, would have probably said you could have just stayed there. Mm-hmm. But for us, we really wanted to live in the context that we were planting in to understand it more. Uh, and then a few short weeks after we began to have Bible study in our house, uh, Mike Brown was killed in Ferguson. And um, St. Louis became kind of a, an epicenter for uh, racial unrest and social justice. Yeah, I remember that. I remember even saying out loud again and again and again to people that it took us by surprise, the shooting of Mike Brown, but it didn't take God by surprise because God had already sent out a church plant into one of the most racially divided places, not only in our country, but even in the world, I mm-hmm. believe. You've cited statistics in the past. So God was already sending out laborers into that harvest area specifically mm-hmm. for that reason. That was such a cool thing to recognize. Yeah, it, it didn't feel like a sending out. It felt like a shutting down. Mm-hmm. When, yeah. when, when Ferguson uh, sparked off, um, you know, we're sitting here in a, you know, I'm white if you, if, uh, you can't see me on the podcast. But um, so we're sitting in this small Bible study, um, mostly black and brown people. And then me, who's supposed to be the lead pastor of this young plant, who's a white guy who doesn't get it, who um, grew up in the country mm-hmm. and um, is now a transplant to the city. And I thought it was over. I thought I was going to be calling you back up for a job. Hmm. Like, hey, can I come back? Because this is not working. Um, I didn't know if my voice was even relevant in the context. And um, I think really what the Lord did to save our little church plant was instead of um, hiding from the situation that was happening, I began to go out in the protest and see what was happening. And um, and one of our... Uh, former leaders of the church used to always say that our church was built out of conflict, not conferences. Hmm. And so a lot of the things that we had learned in the laboratory of church planting and and conferences, really, we just had to chuck to the side and figure out, God, what are you calling us to do right here, right now in this situation? And and he provided for us in that. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, what a beautiful story. Well, Todd, one of the things I've been most impressed about you throughout the years is your drive to provide for your family. You've always been a guy that's that's seems to have a side hustle going on to provide for your family, especially. Talk to us a little bit a little bit about the importance to be able to find multiple streams of income in the church planning context, specifically mm-hmm. in the context in the urban environment. Yeah, so the uh, church planting in the city is different, um, and church planting amongst urban poor is even more different. Hmm. than just urban church planting. And so um, a lot of times uh, just planting a church in, in the urban context, one, you are um, you are at war with a very busy uh, context. Mm-hmm. People, people have a lot of stuff to do. Um, you have a seven-day work cycle. So folks aren't that concerned with coming to your church. That's cool that you're doing that, but uh, I'll catch you online mm-hmm. or streaming. And... Um, and so you have a lot of folks aren't really necessarily looking for good churches just to come to because that's what you're supposed to do. Sure. Um, and so, one, chances of you just putting up a, a sign somewhere and having droves of people come to attend your church and put money in an 
offering plate are probably slim to none. It's going to be highly relational. Mm-hmm. It's going to be slow work. Um, the folks that you may get may be uh, working multiple jobs to make ends meet themselves, young college students who don't have any money anyway. And um, so you have those issues with the urban church plant. Uh, at the same time, uh, in, in church planting, there is an urgency to plant churches. Yeah. Um, and with urgency comes um, usually a lack of, or even if there's an abundance of resources, um, you have multiple church plants you're wanting to invest those into. And so you just don't have uh, the church plants want to support church plants. Church plants are typically poor because mm. they're just small and they're young and they're mobile. And so we want to help out, but $100 a month isn't like paying your mortgage usually sure. and support. And so um, for us, it really started from as we were three years into our first plant and three, typically three years in, supporters tend to fall off. And so I started to figure out like, well, I got to do something to, to subsidize this drop off of funding. And so I began to sell some couches out of my garage. Like if I, I can sell two couches a month. That's worth two supporters, you know, that have fallen off. And we began to do this. And, um, over about three or four years, we started a furniture store. And so while I love the fact of just as an urban church planter, the chances are people, if they have a, a husband and a wife in the house, both of them are usually working mm-hmm. to be able to pay their bills. If it's a single parent, they may be working multiple jobs. And so uh, you are going to have to do the same thing that your people are doing. You, I mean, the, you should expect to do no less than the folks in your church are doing. And so um, a young, small church is not going to be able to pay your bills. And eventually, uh, donations slow. And so what are you going to do when donors drop off and you don't have 500 people in your church to pay it, one salary? And so you got to figure out ways to, to make ends meet. Um, one of the things I love about the opportunity to be bivocational is that it makes the theology that I preach about have to be practical for me because I'm, I'm working with people every day that aren't in the church office with me. Yeah. Um, it's kept me mindful of what is what I'm preaching practical for missionaries in an everyday venue. And so it has to keep me sharp with practicing what I'm preaching. It's good. It's not just in my office, in my house. Now it's in my place of business. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, being a small business owner, I think that having to submit to the demands of customers has actually made me a better Christian because you have to respond in kindness or else people will trash you on Yelp. Yeah. <laughs> so you, yeah. you, have to, you have to think, okay, what's the, the most generous and kind way to respond to people? Wow. And it actually helps me pastor better yeah. because I don't want to treat somebody buying a chair from me better than I would treat somebody walking through a divorce. Or does that make sense? It so, does, absolutely. So it, I, I feel like on, besides the practical issues of just paying your bills and feeding your kids, because my kids like to eat, you know, yours do too. Mm-hmm. And so i got to be able to put food on the table. Um, there's also the, the functional reality of saying like, okay, I'm able to put my theology into practice outside of a church office in my house by being uh, bivocational. That's good. I've seen more and more guys, especially in an urban environment, uh, go the route to bivocational or even what we're calling now co-vocational. They have this separate 
separate income, a separate job, Kobo, because uh, <laughs> they do that as a part of their mission. Not yeah. until they're able to be fully funded by the church, they, they plan to never be, and they're just going to go that route mm-hmm. as a part of the mission and many of the benefits you talked about. And one of the things I feel like necessitates that a lot of our cities is the fact that a lot of our urban church plants are going to take longer to become self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. How have you seen that play out in the urban environment? Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> where our church is positioned, we're in not just one of the poorest communities in the city, but in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in North St. Louis at Taylor and Martin Luther King, and uh, the average household income around us is $15,000 annually. Um, and so we could have 1,000 people in our church who all make fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year, and I still couldn't pull a full-time salary. Yeah. And so the reality is that churches... Planters that have a desire to plant in um, urban, poor communities, it comes with the reality of, like, I may never be able to stop fundraising yeah. alongside of working a job. So you're fundraising, you're working a job, and you're pastoring. Um, and <clears throat> we have to get better as both planters and supporting churches of understanding that the metrics that we've traditionally used in church planting don't apply across the board. Uh, so where in uh, a suburban, middle class, upper middle class setting, if your church gains a family of five with both parents working, you may be gaining 20 grand annually to the bottom line of your budget. Whereas for a church in the urban poor community, you gain a family of five, you may be losing five to $10,000 annually in benevolence. Yeah. And so just because someone trusts in Christ and joins your church and you've added five to 10 people to your um, attendance doesn't equate to an increase uh, in, in your budget. Yeah. And so the more people understand that, the more you can realize we may have to partner for the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may look, have to look beyond three to five years mm-hmm. to eight to 10 years mm-hmm. and, and potentially just say, hey, this is a perpetual partnership we want to invest in. And so I think that I would love to see churches be more open to that when they understand the call to support urban church planting. That's good. That's good, Todd. Well, Todd, one of the other things that I love about your story, it's, it's almost comical because it's, it's even a little, more, um, a little more extreme than mine. You grew up in Bethalto, Illinois. For all our listeners out there, Bethalto, yeah. Illinois is not a raging metropolis. No. It is out in the country. And yeah. specifically, you grew, out, you grew up in the country of the country. Yeah. So I, I always, Bethalto is about 9,000, 10,000 people. Uh, salt of the earth, amazing yeah. people. Yes. And I grew up about five minutes outside of town. Mm-hmm. I'd say that in quotes, town. Yeah. And uh, I was in an unincorporated area of Madison County, Illinois, that was named after the tavern that used to be there. It used to be the Wild Goose Saloon uh, that no longer stands, but the, the, they called the area Gooseville. <laughs> so I grew up in Gooseville, Illinois. Gooseville, Illinois. From yeah, Gooseville to the Lou. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and, and you planted in what we would all consider the inner city. Yeah. It's called the inner city of St. Louis. I don't know if there's any two demographics that are, that are any less alike in, in, in so many yeah. ways that the general public would consider them. Now, we know yeah. there are a lot of crossovers between sure. rural poor and urban poor. Yes. But talk to us how, how that happened and how you've seen God's hand on you to prepare you to plant cross-culturally. 
Yeah, I, I don't know how it happened. I think that I've tried to I've tried to share this story multiple times and make it make sense for people. Sure. And I just think that <clears throat> when I was in seminary, uh, I worked. I was a uh, dispatcher for nine one one. So if you called the uh, Burleson, Texas Police Department, you called nine one one. Your life was in danger. This voice answered the phone, which was a bad. <laughs> bad for everyone. Um, <laughs> And so part of our job, we had to do police ride-alongs once a month to keep our minds in, in the field of what we were sending officers to. And so I was like, I was 21, 22. I'm like, man, put me in the most dangerous neighborhood. I want to see what life is really like in the streets. And so we went to the Terrell Heights neighborhood in Fort Worth. Um, a lot of homelessness, a lot of uh, drugs and prostitution. And what should have scared me off, I was actually drawn to. And uh, I would go to chapel service at seminary and I would hear these amazing stories of missionaries called to the Middle East and we would applaud them and send them off on a perilous mission and then I would see Terrell Heights being a five minute jog from campus Mm. and no one wanting to go there Wow! and I began to look to buy, I want to buy a house there I want to start going to church there and and be be a missionary in this neighborhood and I couldn't get anybody to want to move into this house with me and so uh, the Lord used that to give me a heart for everyday brokenness that we see, you know, that maybe 30 minutes from our front door, yeah. but we'll go halfway across the world to address the same needs. Um, and so that was kind of what began to shape me. And I made a call to some friends and they kind of advised me on how to begin to engage, uh, you know, that. Um, and so I always say that I'm a, I'm a reformed redneck. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think just being poor in general is helpful to understand poverty in a different location. Yeah. Um, typically, the the things you spend money on are the same. You know, in in my neighborhood now, people have big rims. In the neighborhood I grew up in, they have big tires. Yeah. You just you didn't you couldn't you weren't didn't have a lot of pride in your home. Sure. You couldn't invest in your property, but you can invest in a car. Yeah. Um, food's the same. Um, you know, I don't I don't understand why some foods are viewed as ethnic slurs because I grew up on the same food yeah. and it was all, it was fried and it was, you know, fruity and all those kind of things were good. Yeah. Every, uh, church meeting I grew up in was fried chicken and watermelon afterwards. And so I think it's just, it's good tasting and it's cheap to make. And so that's what poor people eat. Um, you know, everybody's got a family member, member in, in jail somewhere <laughs> and, uh, everybody loves guns. Yeah. And so it's just like, I kind of identify with a lot of what I, yeah. what I see now is what I grew up with. Socks and, and sandals. I mean, <laughs> yes. I, so, I, I, well, you know, white folks do flip flops and black folks do slides. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm yeah. learning that you don't do, I don't, and you can't do socks and flip flops. That's weird with your toes. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I don't, it doesn't really make sense to me how the Lord did that. Yeah. Um, but I feel more at home now on the north side of St. Louis than I even do back in Gooseville in Bethalto. It's, it's, it's a supernatural thing that the Lord does when he calls you to a place. Um, he does all the, the mental and, uh, and emotional transition that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And you just got to say yes to like a daily obedience to just walking after him. And then he does all the rest of it. That's really good. I talk to planters and their wives as they're considering planting and they come in and we look at the urban environment because some of the greatest places we need new churches are in the urban environment. And questions about school and questions about safety and all those questions come up. And so it's a beautiful thing to watch a family who's heard God's call and they've embraced it holistically. Mm-hmm. They bought a home. 
Uh, they're a part of the community. They're saying we're not going anywhere. And as we've learned, that's how trust is built. Yeah. And that's how walls come down. Well, Todd, I have one last question for you. People listening want to partner with Apostles Church. Yeah. What are some ways that they could partner with you? One of the biggest ways we as a, as a young uh, urban church plant, we need uh, financial partners, uh, people who would be willing to say, I, you know, I want to make a sacrificial financial investment uh, in this work. I see the benefit of it. I see the need. And so that's one very, very easy way. Mm-hmm. Not easy, but a quick way folks can say yes to this. Um, and another is we have uh, we bought a 120-year-old Catholic church facility. It's about a full city block multiple buildings. Uh, and there's a lot of work that we need done in our facility. And so if folks have construction skills or uh, cleanup skills, we have tons of opportunity for people to come in and help us make this building usable, not just for our church, but for the community around us. And we've actually begun to do um, some neighborhood needs assessments with the folks in our neighborhood. Uh, we have mission teams who want to come in, but sometimes we may need something that requires scaffolding. And we have some high schoolers who just want to paint and clean up and um, when we run out of those jobs in the church, we want to be able to leverage mission teams for the sake of our neighbors. Oh, it's incredible. And so now we have a, an ongoing list of neighbors around us who may need their basement cleaned out or may need a room or their windows painted, their gutters cleaned, the backyard cleaned out. And so we want to be able to leverage um, the gifts of, of the people God would send us on mission trips mm-hmm. to benefit not just our church, but the people around us as well. And, and uh, by default, that we would have a good name in the community through that work. That's good. That's yeah. good. It's, it's loving and loving and serving that community uh, in, in tremendous ways, building that long-term relationship. Todd, it's not only been a blessing to have you on the podcast today, it's a blessing to have you in our city. I think that every city uh, network needs a Todd Geneman, a guy that defies a lot of those odds, the guy from the country to the hood, a guy who loves people deeply and is going to do whatever it takes to follow that call. So, man, thanks for all that you do. Thanks for being part of the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening to the Luke 10-2 podcast. For more information about the SEND network in St. Louis, visit sendstl.com.